Welcome to Deep Well Astrology. I'm Allison Disler, a psychological astrologer and somatic educator. And in this podcast, we'll explore how astrology can illuminate our embodied consciousness and nourish our soul. Greetings. It's been a bit. Today is Thursday, February 2nd, 2023, and I am happy to be back with a fresh new podcast series focusing on astrology and embodiment. Thanks to everyone who's been tuning in for a while over the past year, year and a half. And if you're new or would like a recap, you can visit past episodes. My last two series centered on our natal Mercury and Venus placements. With the 12 Mercurial episodes, I explored the nature of communication from a Mercurial perspective. Bringing us through the tail end of 2022, I centered on giving and receiving from the perspective of our natal Venus placements. So feel free to check out past episodes as those are still relevant and you can look up your natal Mercury sign or your Venus placement. In the interim between series topics, a few ideas came to mind. I'd really love to spend a podcast series on Saturn and personal empowerment at some point. And I'd also like to spend some time with our Mars natal placements and its relationship with our willpower, drive, and the way we go about getting things done. But a third topic, and the one that's very highly personal to me, and that keeps coming around because it's in my daily practice with myself and with others as a professional, is the interface of astrology and embodiment. Today, I was taking a crisp, wintry walk in southern Indiana woods. I love to hike in the winter. The air usually sits around 30 to 35 degrees. Today, there was a slight wind. And I was thinking about how my own body loves and craves the solitude of brisk winter hiking. The coldness and the clarity of air is nourishment for me. I also like the hard parts of a hike. I like the hills. I like the long stretches of a non-vista woods where there's really nothing so-called important to look at. I like the starkness and the way the cold slightly energizes my system and energizes my vascular system. It helps to bring some life to my normally down-regulated system. This vigorous hiking brings more tone to my blood vessels and muscles, and I like the resistance in the uphill walks. It provides my body with structure and reinforcement, and it also gives me a sense of internal fire. I know this about my nature, my elemental nature. I use the word nature or my own nature a lot when I'm thinking or speaking with myself. I notice I think in phrases like, well, it's my nature to do this, or it's in my nature to do or to say. 
And I like the phrase or this idea of being in one's own nature. And it's helpful when we approach a question or a topic like embodiment, because embodiment can be a slippery word. What is it really? And if you think about it, aren't we all already embodied or in a sense we're here and we have a body, right? Isn't embodiment a given? The way I think of embodiment is the conscious and continual process of stewarding a home for the soul so that we may come to understand our own true nature. And I don't think this is too far-fetched for any of us because I think we're all in connection with having a sense of our own nature or what is maybe out of our character or out of our nature. I do think what's in our nature and character is a little different. I think what's in our character is what we have acquired and what we have learned and what's in our nature is kind of like our wild nature, our own essence, our own wilderness. So I like to think of some phrases and it might be helpful for you to write these down for yourself. But if I was going to write down some things, I might start with the prompt. It's in my nature. So I might say something like it's in my nature to embrace the cold as nourishment. It's in my nature to have an affinity with historic buildings. It's in my nature to think deeply before I act and to strategize. I could go on and on, and it's fun to just let yourself flow or roll with this or number with this. So you might start this process in a journal or on your computer with just writing the words, it's in my nature. So I could continue a long list, but what I have found through time is that what is evident of our true nature will show up for each of us at some point in time. But we get more a taste of our essential nature if we are engaged in the process of embodiment or stewarding a home or a landing pad for the elements of our soul to have a place in time in our lives. So we are the agent of stewarding this opportunity while we're here and while we're conscious. So we have this slice of potential. Can we be here without doing it? Absolutely. Do we need some roadmaps and maybe a little motivation and support if we are called to steward the soul? Yes, of course. We can branch this back into embodiment then. So is embodiment necessary for life? And I really think that depends on what we each consider life to be. So through these next several months, I'll be exploring astrology and embodiment through the wisdom of our rising signs. As an astrologer and a rolfer, or structural integrator, while working with the many different body types and personality structures, I see that I've noticed while the whole chart will show up with a person and in their body, it'll also show up on the table, but it's often the rising sign and therefore the planetary ruler of the chart that gives the body its animation, 
its essence in its pre-movement, so to speak. The other thing I found really important is our dominant element. So those two things blend. And when I'm thinking of a body, especially as a rolfer or an integrator, I'm not just thinking of things like the shoulder or the leg. I'm thinking of that, but I'm also thinking of how a person gets on the table and off the table, how they communicate, how quick things are moving in their nervous system, how connected they are with the soft parts of themselves, if they're more connected with the bones, the muscles, the organs, if they're more organized in a linear timeline or more circular. So these things will show up on a table. They're pieces of ourselves that we know of our nature, and they can also be reflected in our astrology chart. So it's really fun to work across those dimensions to continue to offer an invitation for awareness. In more practical terms, there are body systems that are faster moving, highly changeable, and connected primarily with movement. There are also people like this too, or people in a body situation like this. Folks more connected with the nervous system. These are just a few indicators of a mercurial essence or nature. I work with clients who are also denser structures that have things like bulging discs or compressed spines or stiffness, structures with a strong hardiness to them, but perhaps rigid joints. Globally, these are some Saturn-like features. When a body comes in conflict between two or more archetypal features, since all the planets and archetypes are present in a system and they're working in us and with us, we will say some things like, I'm feeling discomfort or conflict, pain, friction, or disease. And these are often conflicting energy systems trying to find their way towards homeostasis. Oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes pain, friction, and discomfort finds its way to a resolution once it's acknowledged and there can be some support around it and support maybe medical intervention it may be diet change it might be a physical movement change but it's all about this kind of friction and you can often go back to these elementals so astrology is one way that can help us understand our elemental dominances our habitual preferences, and it can help us. It's a tool to design a personal elemental embodiment regimen or program or ritual, however you like to think about it, for ourselves. And truly, the thing is that's interesting living in a body that is constrained and bound by time is that this practice is perpetual and continual. So we don't always have the same body. We don't always have the same dominant element through time. It shifts. So we get a chance over a lifetime to work with most of them. And so besides planetary rulers that are designated by our rising signs, 
The other feature I look at in myself and with my clients a lot when we work together, or if I'm looking to steward my own embodiment and where I'm at right now, is our chart elemental balance. And what I found with my own self is that this is sort of a continual feature. And it's something that I get to work with across the lifeline. So I'm just offering these two simple placements to look at, rising sign and elemental dominance, because they're easy to look at and they're very meaningful and handy for our basic embodiment practices. There's something you can turn to every day, every month, and then you can look at yourself placed in different seasons and understand why perhaps some seasons, depending on where you live, are more supportive for your body in your embodiment, and maybe some seasons are harder, and how to cultivate your elemental balance. So before we continue, if you don't already know, check out your rising sign, and also, if you can, your elemental balance. You will either be fire, water, air, or earth dominant, and sometimes there will be sort of a tie for your dominant elements. So you could be water and air dominant with no fire elements, for example. But if you can, grab your dominant or dominant and least dominant element, what's not present. If you need assistance, go to astro.com and type in your birth data or look at your chart and there'll be like this little box probably down in one of the corners and you'll see the elements, they'll be abbreviated, fire F, water W, and so on. And then you can count up how many planets you have in each column and just look where there's a conglomeration and where it looks like it's empty. So hopefully you do have access to that info and if not, feel free to reach out to me. You can just go to my website, there's contact info there, you can email me and I can help you get set up or know at least where to look. Through these subsequent episodes, you'll be broken down or will be broken down into looking at this embodiment by rising signs. So then we're going to get into our traditional planetary rulers. So for those who don't know my practice personally, I'm sort of a hybrid astrologer, meaning I am a psychological astrologer. I'm always psychologically interested in Ben. It's my background. It's my study. It's my education. But I'm also um, interested in traditional techniques. I have a psychological and Jungian influenced background. I'm a body worker, but I also do whole sign house placements, or I also look at the whole sign house system. I use traditional rulership, and I'm somewhat fluid and flexible in my continued knowledge. So while this is what I use right now, um, I can't speak for my future self. I love keeping that open. I love keeping the the, the learning open as I've done over time. It's awesome. Um, so for this next series, though, I will use the traditional rulership, especially for this podcast, because it also allows for some comparisons to take place and for us to learn by using that friction for understanding. And what I mean by friction is, for example, one episode, we might be talking about Saturn as a planetary ruler. In traditional astrology, it would be the ruler of Aquarius and Capricorn. So there's two rising signs that 
Saturn will be ascribed to. But it will be shaded wherever the Saturn placement is in your chart, and also the Capricorn and Aquarius archetype and movement and energy and elements are different. But by actually noticing Saturn as the ruler of both Aquarius and Capricorn, we learn a lot through the contrast. And I really feel like not only in astrology, but also in embodiment, the brain learns through contrast by noticing when things change, even subtly, and when they don't. I love doing right and left comparison on the bodywork table. I love doing top and bottom and just hanging out for a second and doing that comparison. So in order to build on or build up from this foundation of our house rising signs and planetary ruler, we're going to begin at the basics. So before we even get into the intricacies of the planetary ruler, let's just talk about the elementals. So let's go with an example. If I have a sun in Taurus, a Mercury in Gemini, a Venus in Gemini, Mars in Leo, Saturn in Capricorn, Jupiter in Capricorn, and Moon in Aquarius. I can write that down, and then I can count up those seven personal planets. Elemental status. So I'm just looking at the signs. I'm looking at those seven planets, and I notice that I have three Earth placements. Taurus and Capricorn planets will be Earth. I got three air placements, that's Gemini and Aquarius, and one fire element, and that is in the Mars and Leo. What I don't have in that chart is water. My dominant element of those seven planets is Earth and air tied with three, and the least dominant is water. You are welcome to use more planetary placements or the nodes in your evaluation of your elementals if you want to, but for discussion of integration and embodiment, those seven primary planets, including the sun and the moon all the way out to Saturn, is a really nice place to start. You're already working with a lot there. And we're looking at embodiment and integration so when you start with those seven placements, you can really start to understand yourself and how each of those planets are kind of moving with an elemental. So if we think back to the example chart, we'd be curious and asking about the integration of the water element. That's what we're going to focus on looking at when we look at our least dominant element. So how present would water be in this person's physical biome? So we might literally consider hydration, kidney and bladder function, this sort of water in, water out component. We might think about the detox process. Also, if we are looking at temperament or mind moving, we talk about the ability to go with the flow or the flow state, especially in the realms of emotions. Staying broad can be helpful in terms of the body and the body-mind connection because it's a complex organism. So if we're looking at an astrological chart and there's a low water-dominant element, we can't just assume that there's something going on in the bladder or um, 
we can't just assume that it's an emotional imbalance, that there there's other things that water designates in the body, and it may just be indicative of flow or flow state. It might be emotional, but it might also be about hydration, dehydration. So I like this idea of staying curious and staying broad because it helps our body wisdom emerge. And again, we're in this process of stewarding a home for the soul. And the soul in our true nature allows itself to be evident in a situation that feels safe. It feels curious. It feels welcoming. It does not appear in a place where we're demanding or scrutinizing or like really getting down to it. So if we're looking at cultivation or stewardship, we're looking at befriending, we're looking at friendliness and harnessing. And if we're having a least dominant water element, we're wanting to befriend and harness the teaching of water. So this could be through actually drinking more water. It might mean visiting water or bathing in water. It might be about learning how to be with emotional fluctuation. It might be needing to develop an elemental balance of bringing water into our our way of being in a very broad sense. Um, so when we're looking at cultivating channels for our least dominant element, we're considering what can we build what can we bring ourselves towards and what can support our need for developing or harnessing this element. So we'll all have one element that needs help or stewarding to embody. And that's partly why we're here. We're here for a lot of reasons, but partly why we're here, I think, and this might just be my opinion, is that we're here to integrate and to be fully present here and and honor all of the elements and all of the archetypes. And the same is true for our physical system. So we can live all of our life in the nervous system, but it's really nice to also realize we've got a cardiovascular system. And it's also really nice to know we have a fluid system and a lymphatic system, you know, and we can live dominantly in our muscles but it's also nice to know we have fascia. So it's the same idea with the body. And I think if we cultivate this idea of curiosity and we think of ourselves elementally, we can start to understand like what comes to mind when we offer that cultivating inquiry. And just think, what element do you resonate with? What feels dangerous or foreign? And if you've had a moment to look at your chart, what element is least present for you? So in this next part, we're going to talk about two elements who might be having their least dominant expression. And then next week, we'll look at the other two and then just continue on when we look at dominant elements. I do want to make mention first off, and I should have said this at the beginning, but from here on out, and I may say it every time, I'm not a medical professional. I'm not authorized to prescribe or diagnose. I'm an astrologer and a body worker. So I do work with bodies and I notice things about bodies. And I also want to say about incorporating non-dominant elements by their nature, since they're not dominant in our system, it's going to feel challenging. It's going to feel difficult and there might be some resistance. So we do need to cultivate that 
possibility of going through a little of resistance. So for those charts whose least present element is fire, it is your opportunity to cultivate fire in your life and in your physicality. To cultivate fire is to touch passion. It's to know heat and to be able and willing to follow direct insight and spontaneity. To be able to trust and go on instinct and intuition. To know vitality through cardiovascular experience. To sweat or feel heat. To be in touch with instinctual flames and stoke them. Places like saunas, the desert, sun, direct sun, the hot jungle, humidity that brings in a little water, but it can be hot places near the equator, places that are hot and dry. could be a place where you're really exposed to sun in the summer on top of some tall mountain peaks. There is a lot of fire energy. There's also air energy there, but think about that heat and be clear with yourself. If you are in a low fire elemental, this will not feel innate. It will not feel comfortable. And it is you who are invested in making the choice of building the possibility for fire to come into your body, into your experience of life. You don't have to do it. You're going to live whether you put fire in there or not. But if we're thinking about embodiment and you're lacking in that fire to work, to bring that into your life will allow a more sturdy container for the stewardship of an ensouled embodied life. For charts whose least present element is air, it's your opportunity to call in or bring in the element of air, breathwork, speaking, public speaking, networking, sharing your story, sharing movement, and your agility of mind. Find ways to allow yourself and your mind and your ideas to travel, maybe even into absurdity, humor, or whim, flying, allowing yourself and knowledge to flow and roll without necessarily attaching to it. Agility, versatility, and speed are qualities of air, flying and words and community, rationality and civility can be components of air. Bring up and elevate your mental processing and your ability to share ideas and conversation. Places of learning from the wind are seasides, ocean sides, high plains, areas with vistas, open spaces, on a boat, in a plane. Exposure to wind. Movement may not at first be comfortable for you, if you're low on the air element, but again, it's your opportunity to be here, alive, building and evoking relationship with the potential of your full self. So this might be an edge. It's your choice to bring in the air or bring in wind. Next week, I'll pick up on this same topic as we dive into Astrology and Embodiment Part 2. And we'll look at the elements of earth and water, if they are the least dominant elements in your chart. 
And we'll start to think about ways to steward them or environments to evoke or bring yourself into if they happen to be your least dominant element. We'll also invite the question, if we know what element we are here to help steward or cultivate, how can we invoke a best use of our dominant already present element? And thinking of this from a body-centered point of view, again, we have the opportunity to create space and bring up our least dominant element, and then we get the gift and the opportunity to work viscerally at times with our most dominant element. I look forward to speaking with you next week. Have a good one. Until next time, breathe deep, linger long.